I want to I want to read another passage and kind of show you how why we're in Romans one today. So First Peter two eleven. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I think we could all say it together. Why are we, why are we created? We are created to glorify God. Amen. And if, you, if you've ever done any catechism, you, you know this is part of it. Why are we created? We're created to glorify God. How do you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. These are catechism questions that, if you've ever seen that, this is the basics of the Christian faith, that we are exist to glorify God. Now, how do we do that? You see that in 1 Peter 2.11. We're going to get to Romans 1. These things are connecting. We've, we've arrived at a point in our church that really is a, a new day. And I was reminded of that this week because I saw Mark Przlowski. And I saw him on a videotape. And guess what he was doing? He was standing at the back of the historical society holding up a little baby carrier. And Stephen was in that baby carrier. He was about that big. We've come a long way in 10 years. And we've arrived at a, at a place where we can do things and, and engage the world for Christ that we couldn't do 10 years ago. Because how old were you, Zach? 14? 14? So one of our oldest, married now, was 14. We were just in a whole different season that we've now come to, and and there is a, there is an energy, and you probably felt this. People have commented to me and others about this that, that God seems to be moving and beginning to do a work in our church to to take the gospel out and to strengthen here, but to go out. And you see this in First Peter two. There's this time, beloved. I urge you as sojourners in exile to abstain. There's a time to abstain. There's a time to come. That's why we come to church to be strengthened. In the body of Christ to be strengthened in the word together from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And there's a time in child training. You could you can see this with the family of God and, and the local family or the physical family. There's a time to abstain and train in order that we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When we go out, we strengthen here so we go out. And we've now reached a time where we have you know, a lot of people in, our young, in the young 20s or young married and or getting to that age or getting close to marriage where we can begin going, okay, we've got the foundation. We've abstained to the point where we can gain the foundation. Now let's let's go and let's encourage and let's let's engage in the battle for Christ. So in that in that context, that's kind of the heart that I've been thinking about lately. My heart has been that text. And so I decided to read through Romans, go back with me to Romans one, and I got through seven verses this week. Because I got Stuck with, with verse 5. It just grabbed me. And I kept meditating on it. And this is the what I will be saying this morning is the outworking of that study and, and meditation. Read with me Romans 1, for, uh, 1 through verse 7. And we're concentrating mainly on verse 5 this morning. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our text, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring up, to bring about, and this is the, the phrase that has grabbed me, 
the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us pray one more time before we enter into this study. Oh God, we thank you for the gospel which we see Paul clearly proclaiming here, the, the grace that has been given to us. And we enter into worship before you and the study of your word and delighting to be in your presence because of that grace and we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. And we plead, Lord, for this morning an outpouring of your spirit upon our hearts that we might not turn away from that grace, but we might um, build upon it and use it and, and grow this morning. We would not be hearers of the word only, but we would be doers of the word as well. So give us grace now, Lord, in this time, in the next 30, 40 minutes here. Help us, Lord, to know you more, to love you more. And give me grace to speak the truth. And may I not be anything other than a, a, a tool that you use to help us through your word, focus the lens of our hearts to see you more clearly and give you more glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to focus on really this verse 5, focusing even more clearly on this one phrase, obedience of faith. Now let's define faith. So let's go to Hebrews 11. A passage we're all familiar with, but go to Hebrews 11. Quickly define faith here. And we won't read the whole chapter, just a few verses in. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen and was not made out of things, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, and goes through. Faith is the substance, if you're reading KJV, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I think oftentimes we view faith as something that is cannot be tangible. It's not a substance where we can touch. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says faith is tangible in the substance of things not seen. So what you don't see and what you hope for, how you live out your life in the light of what you don't see and hope for, is faith. So I can see... Your faith, what you have faith in. And we pray that it's always faith in God, but you can see when people have faith uh, in or belief, we can move these words back and forth, in uh, things outside of God, because their lives mimic that which they're having faith in. Do you follow what I'm saying here? So we, we have faith in things that are not seen, that we hope for, God and His work and what He's doing, and as we live that out, that's faith. So we're going to make two clarifying statements, and you could probably combine them into one, but I wanted to break them into two because I think they're both important, and we don't want to miss one of them putting them together. The first one is, faith has got to be in God alone. That's what you were created to do, and we always get in trouble and mess up when it's not in God alone. When we begin to put it upon a friend or a family member or our finances or our job or our relationship or even the church. Things that are not God. Second clarifying point. Faith cannot be the opposite side. So the first is the positive. Faith has got to be in God alone. But the negative side, the, the other side of that is 
Faith cannot be in any object or being other than God. Okay, so you have the two really connected, both sides of the same coin, but we can, sometimes we miss the first, which is faith in God alone, in order to say, well, faith in God alone, because it's not in these things. Well, focus on as well the not, as you focus on the positive. Faith in God alone, and faith in not in any object or being other than God. Okay, so an understanding of faith, faith is a substance, it's something that we do, Romans 1, obedience of faith. So let's, let's look at three aspects of faith in this Romans 1 passage. And um, my three points would be the birth of faith, the evidence of faith, and the goal of faith. All from Romans 1 verse 5. The birth of faith, the evidence of faith, and the goal of faith. And first would be the birth of faith. Now we've got to remember... Our definitions of mercy and grace. We've, we've talked about this before. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Unmerited favor. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So God has mercy upon the sinner... By not giving him what he does deserve. And he has grace in that he gives him the free gift of salvation. See how those things combine? So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to know these definitions. They're important to know when you're studying scripture. When you get into this Romans 1 verse 5. Because it talks about through whom we have received grace. There's the birth of our faith and apostleship. To bring about the obedience of faith. We know this Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Grace is given to us to birth our faith. Grace births our faith. Births our faith. Grace saves us through faith. You see that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And so faith alone cannot save you. And grace alone does not save you. So it's grace through faith. And there's you've got to focus on these things because some people you can just have faith in God, but the devils believe in God and tremble. So how far is that going to take you? Not very far. And you can have you can just believe in the grace of God, which is good too, but it's gotta be they've got to be tied together. You've got to be closely tied together. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, a Bible teacher, gives this commentary on Romans 1.5. Grace is unmerited favor. It is the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man. Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. Love that stoops is grace. I love that. Love that stoops is grace. God came down Jesus Christ, God came down to earth through Jesus Christ to serve us. There's that grace, that love. We are not lovely or lovable. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died to us, died for us, died for the ungodly. So grace births our faith, but not as an end to itself. The second point is the evidence of our faith. 
Our faith in Christ is much more than a belief. It must be coupled with obedience, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. So grace is not an end of itself. It saves us, but not as an end of itself. In order to do something, the evidence, the obedience of faith. We have received grace and apostleship in order, or to, bring about obedience of faith. Now, there's contradicting verses in Scripture to this. And you see them in Romans 3, 24. And we'll look at another one in Romans 8. And there's others. But these are two that we could pick out and say, well, it appears that grace is not a gift. Because it's got to do something. There's something that's attached to it. Well, I thought in Scripture grace is a gift. In Romans 3, 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Or free grace. Through the a redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and you see in 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, it appears in Romans 1.5, we're given grace for a reason, but these two things seem to be saying, it's just given to us. And how do we work these things out? How do we balance them? And there's two points. One is, God has always has His glory in, so, in mind. And so whatever He does in our lives has an end goal in mind. So He didn't just give us grace as an end of itself. Grace always, because God always has His glory at the end goal of everything, He's giving grace as an end goal. So we're given that to accomplish His glory. It's going somewhere. And then Romans 3.24 Romans 8.32 are different periods in a Christian life. The Romans 3.24 passage is much like the Ephesians 4.8.9 passage in that it is, it is this initial salvation. Grace is given to, birth, given to birth our faith. It is a free gift. But once you are a true believer, you must enjoy the gift. And there's the Ephesians, there's the Romans 8.32 passage. It must have tangible evidence or fruit that grace, it, is being used to accomplish the end goal in mind, the glory of God. The Romans 8.32 passage is talking about the life of a believer walking with God and the gifts of all things is in accordance with what is pleasing to Him. We know this because of the first few verses in Romans 8. And you see that first beginning of Romans 8, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he's not freely giving us all things to do whatever we want according to the old flesh. We're believers. These things are now worked out for his glory as the new man. So, Zach and Andrew and I had a 45 second conversation before this. And the question was, is grace free? Yes and no. So it is, it is freely given to us. It is not free and that it took the highest price possible to gain it. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when we see grace freely given to us, we should not stop there. We focus on why it is freely given to us because it, pay, it was paid by the highest price possible, which forces us to do something with that grace. So if you see a Christian who's living in a way that is not in accordance with Scripture, you have to call him to, do you see what Christ has done for you so that you can 
live in accordance with what Scripture says. See what His grace has given you so that you can go do obedience of faith, Romans 1. Biology majors, we're all good, or most of us are good homeschoolers. What are the two poisonous chemicals in salt? Sodium and chloride. Okay, if you take each one of those, very good. If you take each one of those by themselves, they're very poisonous and they can kill you. If I just dump one of those chemicals in my body, it's not good. But combine them together in the right quantities, right measurements, and what do you get? Salt. Table salt. What are you called to do in Matthew five? Be salt and light to a world. Okay, but you've got to have you've got to have faith and obedience. Together, those are the two compounds that mix in the Christian life. And if you just have faith or just obedience, it won't work. You've got to have faith. You've got to have those things together, obedience of faith, to be salt in a bland world. And I want to note this for the young people. What is the lie? The world is the most enjoyable, flavorful, partyful way to go. But what's the truth? The world is bland and we have the flavor. See this? Oh, so beautiful. It is so beautiful. That we have the flavor. We have the flavor of Christ. That we can take into a bland world and make them go, Whoa! Party in the mouth. So incredible. This is amazing. Taste this, people. That's what salt does, doesn't it? I mean, really? It makes it flavorful. You taste it and go, Wow, that was great. That's what the gospel does. It takes it to a bland world and gives them something they've never seen before. And they give them something incredible taste of what they've been missing. So, so don't miss these things. You can't just believe in God and not live out, his, live out a life entirely devoted to Him. Because that's your obedience with your faith. And if you wonder why your ministry, why your testimony is not influencing others in a positive way for Christ, you got to go back to, are the two compounds mixed correctly? Or, or you, you, you may have missed some things. Maybe you've got the faith, but you're not living out the obedience. Or maybe you've got the obedience, and you're not, you're not seeking Him for that faith. You've got to have both of them correctly. Let me mention quickly... God gives us grace in order that we might obtain more grace. And that's clear in Scripture. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So there is an there is a it is a free gift, but part of it is you can take that gift and exercise it and steward it and manage it in order to gain more. And so God does. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our trespasses and sins. Dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive. So there is this initiation on His part, but you can foster that and grow that and gain more of that. And, and we know, according to Luke 15, that here is the Father loving us, desiring to have this wonderful relationship with us. Sin blocks it, but as we come, we see and gain more of and understand more of his love. We don't gain any more. It's already given to us at the cross. But we understand it in a greater way. Clarifying statement there. Third point. The goal of faith. 
Go with me back to Romans 1, if you're not already there. Romans 1, 5. The goal of our faith. So we've had the three points. We've had the birth of faith, grace. Not just as an end of itself. It drives us to the evidence of faith. That's point number two. And then the third point, Romans 1, 5. The goal of our faith. And you see this. Through whom we have received grace. There's the birth. And apostleship to bring about the evidence. The obedience of faith. For, here's the goal, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Why is our faith not directed toward things that can be seen and touched? We went back to go back to Hebrews 11. We had this clarifying point in Hebrews 11. What is faith? It is a substance. You can touch it, it is tangible, but it is in things not hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Speaking of God. So why is it when I put a faith in my in, in a friend, in my job, in my money, in, in whatever it would be, why is it that we're not supposed to do those things? They can pass away. They can pass away. That's exactly right. I have two points. The first one is, going right with what Tom just said, that regulates God, relegates, not regulates, relegates God to a, in case of emergency, pull. Do whatever you got to do, and if it really gets bad, reach over to the fire and yank it, and we pull God out. You know, trust in everything other than, and then reach over there and grab and that's only we're only going to do that when the, the craziness and the mayhem of life gets too big for us and we get out of control and we just, in elastic effort, reach over there, grab it, and yank it down. And God does not like that. In fact, he hates it. He hates to be shelved. He hates to be relegated to the corner. That's not what he's here for. That's not why he created us. We talked about that at the beginning. We're created for the glory of God. So if, if that is not his prominent place in our lives, he does not like this. And he will do what he needs to do, Hebrews 12, discipline, in order to bring himself back into the main substance of our faith, the main goal of our faith. The second reason why we're not supposed to focus on objects or beings other than God, we see this, choose this day in whom you will serve, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The name of Jesus Christ is not proclaimed, not proclaimed to all nations when I put my faith in my friend. That does not proclaim Christ to all the nations. That does not make him look huge. That does not make glorify him. That does not show him in his true light. Any magnifying of the objects and people in our lives in the place of God is idolatry and ultimately proclaims to the world our little God, little G, that is not mighty to save. That does not proclaim our big God as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. When it's, when it's the faith in things that I can see and touch, it, it, it brings God down smaller. He does not like that because he's not that. And so the, the opposite side of that is when you, when you put your faith in God, you make you don't make God big because He is, but you help God. See, you help people see how big He is, how marvelous He is, and then the difficulties that you were having in your life—the marital problems, the financial problems, 
the child training problems, the job problems, all these issues, they don't go away. We know that. But they become, you can see them. They, get, they come into perspective in the light of the big God that we serve. And now, James 1, we count it all joy that we can, we can suffer and go through those things in order that our faith might be tested and God might be made magnificent as He already is. Charles Mincer, Mincner, Charles Mincner, wrote the following about Albert Einstein. He must have looked, Albert Einstein must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. Think about this. Albert Einstein, one of the greatest minds, must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they ever had imagined. And they were not just and they were just not talking about the real thing. He simply felt that the religions he'd run across did not have the proper respect for the author of the universe. Now we don't know if that's what Albert was thinking, but I can understand how that thought can be brought about. That the, one of the greatest scientific minds would look at the cell in the body, or would look at a person's creation and say, You've missed him. You've missed the magnificence and the grandeur of the God that you say you serve. And that that can that cannot be our testimony. See those Christians over there? They got a little thing that they, they worship. It must be the testimony of those Christians, they've got a mind blowing thing that they serve. And, and they're they walk out into creation and you can't stand around them because they're crazy people and they go, Look at that flower. Do you see how God created this? They walk over there to a to a, a, a new baby child and just cry and marvel at the at the amazing creation of God and forming this little child. That must be our testimony of look at God how big he is. And the problems don't go away, but they do become smaller in our perspective because God grows larger in our perspective. Again, He's not large. He doesn't grow larger. He is already large. But in our perspective, we begin to see Him as He truly is. God hates being made to look small and unimportant. And He will do what He will in order to help us see the Holy Spirit working within us that He might, that we might get the picture that He is God and there is no other. That He is God and there is none like him, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. So I, I, I want to encourage you this morning that your faith is in a magnificent God. And as you go to him, let that mind-blowing Look at the God that I serve. As that comes in you, as you study Him in faith, let that be worked out in obedience. So that as we go into the world, we are salty salt and bright light. And it's not bright light in a dim world. It's bright light in a black world that is dark. And it is a salt that has no flavor in the world. We, we bring all the flavor. Because we have Christ. 
So obedience of faith. Let that be something that you meditate on this. Is, is, is my life, is it working out? Is it manifesting itself in a way that the world knows, number one, who my faith is, and that I obey that faith? Because we, we always have faith in something. Romans 1, we're created to be worshipers. So can the world see that, who we're that the faith that we're obeying is in a magnificent God? And is He big? And is He magnificent? Is He marvelous? When God's name is not exalted to the world, through the obedience of faith in God in your life, you will short-circuit the grace in your life. Grace was given to you with an end goal in mind, namely the glory of Christ to the world. Let us not squander that gift. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the magnificence, the magnificent God that you are, and that you loved us enough to stoop down giving us grace that we might have life in Christ. And that we, oh Lord, thank you that we have it abundantly. And that you've given us the mind of Christ. And you've given us all things that we need according to life, for life and godliness. And I pray, Father, that we might not squander that free gift, but we would meditate upon the, the price that was paid in order that we might have that, driving us to to an obedience that is well balanced with our faith that shows the world who you are, the glory, the glorious God that you are. And I pray, Father, that we would go this week taking these thoughts in our minds and as we're tempted, we're tempted to be anxious or tempted to fear or tempted to worry or tempted to lust, or we're tempted to be depressed, or we're tempted to have faith and trust in things outside of you, that we would look at what you've done. We would look at who you are. We would look at your scriptures and see what you've given to us as your word. And we would obey them for the joy that was set before us as you endured the cross. We would set before us the joy of the obedience of that faith. That we, the world, would see that we walk in victory in Christ because when we're faced with those difficulties, we respond in a Christ-like way in accordance with our faith, not in accordance with what the world and how the world responds. Oh God, we thank you for your great mercy to us and not giving us what we richly deserve, but we thank you for your grace in giving us what we do not deserve. And we trust, Lord, that you will Continue to speak to our hearts this morning. That you will strengthen us as the body together. And in our inner, inner being. To prepare us for the work that you have for us. Lord, this is the day you've made. We rejoice and be glad in it. This is your Sabbath. We desire to keep it holy. And to come away for a time of rest. And be renewed and refreshed. For the battle that we wage every day. Through you and in you. For your glory. May your name be praised. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.